0: Happy guy, then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie. Then he thought that he just couldn't die. So, then he laughed. So, all Welcome to the new year, 2016, and also welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-329. For you new people who just fired up their holiday gift technology and are stumbling around looking for content to listen to, welcome as well. We've been cranking out podcasts together here since the summer of 2007, I think. On this, I guess you could call it a show, we chat about amateur endurance sports from the viewpoint of a participant. Yeah, I'm not a coach. I'm not an elite. I typically don't know what I'm talking about. But I am a student of long-distance running and training, and I do have a bit of a passion for it. I also try to be a good storyteller because I think that's a basic human skill that we all need to cultivate and practice. And we also try to summarize some useful life lesson notes that we come across to give us something to think about while we're out running, because that's when we're receptive to those new ideas, right? So I don't really get wrapped up in all this New Year's stuff. You won't get a best of or top 10 things type of update from me. You know, that kind of retrospective has really become a journalistic cliche, don't you think? It's a bit lazy and disingenuous. It's like everyone who creates content is thinking to themselves, "Ah, I just want to go to this party with my friends. Thank goodness I don't have to create any real content this week. I'll just whip up a post summarizing last year. Yeah, anyhow. (laughs) I can't tell you how many miles I ran or rode or swam last year. I really don't keep a log anymore. I'm just at that point in my endurance sports career where the past isn't all that relevant. And I'd rather just focus on this week and next week and today. And that being said, you should probably keep a log. (laughs) Logs are useful. So this week, we're going to chat with Rachel, who you may remember we've talked to before. I worked with her last year on some nutrition. And I started getting those stupid New Year's diet ads and thought we'd try to talk some sense instead. So I called up Rachel. And in part one, I'm going to finish my preparing for a hard training cycle series with a piece on base building. And in section two, I'm going to talk about adventure, adventure and the portfolio life. And it's been a busy couple of weeks since we last talked. The Sunday after Christmas, myself and some others, ran the internationally famous Groton Marathon, made headlines around the world. I'm sure you saw it. I got a nice personal note from the Queen, got a congratulatory phone call from Vladimir Putin. It was all very good. So I and three other guys finished the whole 26.2. It was a bit of a rainy morning, but not uncomfortable for running. We had great support from my club. Probably a dozen people or so came out to run the first half with us. And we had eight water stops set up, which was pretty good. So we ran a casual pace. I felt fine. A little tired at the, you know, the high miles, but that's normal. And we ended up finishing just around four hours, even with all the breaks. So we had a good day. Good day out there on the roads. Then we had a wonderful ice storm. (laughs) that put three inches of snow and ice on my driveway. I guess winter has finally showed up. So it was a sort of a perfect storm situation where the gym at work was closed for renovations and I had dropped my club membership. So I had the unusual situation for me of having to actually skip a workout due to weather, you know? Huh? Jeez. Of course, New Year's morning, we went up to Salisbury to run the hangover classic which is our habit and I treated it as a pace run and I was able to run a fairly comfortable marathon pace minus like 30 seconds a mile for the 10k with nice even splits then we jumped in the Atlantic for our new year's plunge it wasn't too bad this year because the water temperature was just about the same as the air temperature it was about 37 degrees so somehow it's less shocking that way. And I do have one story from the race. When I was getting ready to take my plunge after finishing the 10K, there was this guy on his hands and knees crawling out of the surf. And he was an old guy, just in baggy shorts, no shirt, just slowly sort of struggling, crawling out of the ocean after his uh, plunge. And the thing about Salisbury Beach that you have to understand is that there's a tidal shelf that drops off, I don't know, four, six feet deep but then it's shallow into the beach, and at low tide, the shelf is close to the surf line. You can just dive into the ocean, but at high tide, you have to wade out through the shallows to get to a point deep enough to dive in. Veterans of this race will typically prefer the low tide years because you can dive in, pop back out without having to wade through 20 feet of freezing ocean water in the freezing cold on January 1st. This year was. A high tide year so this old guy was crawling out of the shallows back to the beach so standing there you know my immediate reaction was this guy's in trouble and we all sort of tensed up in anticipation of some some beach heroics but his friend was there and his friend assured us that he was fine and that this, this guy was 80 years old and did the race every year and sure enough when he got to the sh- shallow spot he stood up and and smiled And I gave him a round of applause. (laughs) And that's why I'll never place in my age group in a race in New England. (laughs) On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Base building. In anticipation of a hard training cycle, this is the last part in a multi part series on how to get ready for a hard training cycle. Previous articles have looked at developing good form, balance and flexibility, and core strength. This week we'll look at base building. Why do you care? First of all, you can't be race training all the time if you want to stay healthy and get your best race performances. Second, you will have opportunities between race campaigns that you can take advantage of to do some base building. Instead of just doing some easy runs or not doing much at all, you can use these between campaign times to build resiliency and capacity to race. In this way, when and if you decide to turn up the volume and intensity, you'll be ready. Worst case, you'll have more general fitness to race right out of the gate by following some fairly simple base building guidelines. But first, let's take a step back. All modern training methodologies use the concept of periodicity or periodization. Periods. This means you devote chunks of time to building specific attributes like speed or strength or base fitness, the base building period or phase is akin to building the foundation for the training. A good base becomes a strong foundation for the more race-specific training. So you might be surprised to hear that the concept of base building is a modern development. Until Arthur Lidyard, until his athletes kicked everyone's tails, In the distance events of the Olympics in 1960 and 1964, no one base trained. Before this, most of the runners just did a lot of speed work. They were primarily track athletes at track events, so they just trained hard on the track all the time. Well, what speed work? I'll step back and define speed work. When I refer to speed work here, I mean basically running at your VO2 max or anaerobically or way beyond your threshold. So speed work for me, for example, would be like a four to four and a half on a scale of one to five effort-wise. It's a pace I can maybe hold for a mile repeat or a little bit more, right? That's speed. What modern coaches have discovered is that this speed work gives you diminishing returns. After six to eight weeks of consistent speed work, you just don't get any faster. Modern elite runners will first do a base building period, and then escalate this into race-specific speed and strength towards the end of the overall training cycle. So speed work is great for building strength and, well, speed, but like Lydiard discovered, it has diminishing returns. Speed work built on a poor base will either break you or keep you from reaching your highest race peak, your highest highs it might be useful to think of it as a pyramid. The base building is the broad foundation at the bottom. The race specific speed and strength is the small bit on the top that comes to a point on race day. What is base building then? How do you do that? Why is it important? First, let me step back and define what base building is not. It's not a bunch of slow easy runs with no purpose. Base building is a valid part of your training, even if you're between races, and you should treat it as such. If you're just logging a bunch of inconsistent slow miles, you're not base training, you're jogging. (laughs) My point is that like any other training, your base building phase should be consistent and planned. Okay, so what's the goal of base building? First, first goal is you want to develop your aerobic capacity. Okay, Chris, what does that mean? Okay, let's step back and talk about aerobic versus anaerobic. Aerobic activities burn oxygen and can be maintained over a long period of time. Anaerobic means that the activity's oxygen consumption is not sufficient to supply all the energy. When you go anaerobic, your muscles have to scrounge fuel by breaking down other resources anaerobic is not sustainable for long efforts. So, based on that admittedly lo-fi definition, we'll pause here for a quick quiz. When you run long distance, a marathon for instance, how much of that do you think is aerobic and how much is anaerobic? Well, the majority is aerobic, right? Very little is anaerobic. And this makes sense. Therefore, it makes sense that we would train aerobically for a primarily aerobic event. So for training, when we say our goal is to develop aerobic capacity, what we mean is we want to be able to go longer and harder before our muscles are forced to switch to the anaerobic system. This aerobic capacity manifests at the cellular level by creating more mitochondria and other physical adaptations. It's a real thing. You only get these adaptations if you execute your base building with planned consistency. Back to the question at hand. What is base building then? Well, base building is a consistent level of miles or time, most of them in the aerobic zone, with some moderate effort pace runs and moderate pace episodes. So an example of time spent in the aerobic training zone would be an hour run in zone two. An example of a moderate pace would be a bit slower than your current marathon pace. An example of an episodic run would be a fartlek. How many miles? Well, the elite runners actually go over a hundred miles a week in their base training, not just the pros. Most college cross-country programs have base-building phases with this kind of volume. You and I, we're not elites. We don't want or need 100-mile weeks, even if we could survive it. Typically, when I'm building base, I'll run four or five days a week, and I'll hit 25, 30 miles. What's a specific example of a base-building training week? Well, if we take an example of a five-day week, and again, I'm making all this up. You have to figure out what, what works for you. But if we take the example of five days a week, this might mean three more targeted or prescriptive workouts and two easy runs. So your weekly structure might be Monday cross training, Tuesday fartlek, Wednesday easy zone two run, Thursday a pace run of some sort, Friday an easy zone two run, Saturday a rest or cross train, and then Sunday a longish zone two run. So, that's three sort of quality workouts built into a a seven day week with five runs. So, a base building phase could be as long as a year because physical aerobic adaptations take a bit of time. But that being said, you can benefit from a month or two or three as well, and you can work base building strategies into your regular training. It does take some time to see the benefits, and you do. Have to be consistent. And one thing that should pop out at you is that base building is not all easy stuff. There are episodes of moderately challenging running as well. And this is where I have to take a side passage into heart rate training. Sorry. When Lydiard was coaching in the 60s, they ran by feel, they didn't have sport watches. Inconceivable, right? Seriously. There are still some of us old guys that spend enough time training without technology who can run by feel, but you don't have to. Today, you can run by measured effort level, and we do this using heart rate training. Heart rate training allows us to base build based on data instead of feel, and this is important because most of us run our easy runs too hard and our fast runs too fast when we do it by feel. Most runners use a five-zone heart rate method. That's what I do. Zone one is like a walking effort. Zone two is a conversational, easy effort, full sentences. Zone three is breathing hard but still talking, like when you go out running with your buddies. Zone four is tempo or in between your 10K and your marathon pace, and you're working hard and you can only squeeze out a word here and there. Zone five is 5K race pace, and you're not wasting any breath on talking. And most people, when they run by feel, will run their easy runs at a low zone three effort or a mid zone three effort. And that's too fast to get the full aerobic capacity adaptations that benefit. In base building, you have to teach yourself to run easy aerobically in a zone two effort level. As an example, for me, and this is how how fine tuned you can do it now with the heart rate. For me, that might be... And this is different for everybody. So this is just me. For me, my zone two, the top of my zone two is about 128 beats per minute, right? So that's the split where I drop in or I go into zone three. So I'd be trying to do my zone two at less than 128 beats a minute, right? But that's just how my heart works. When it works. So this can be a learning curve. It may take two or three weeks for you to figure out how to run zone two consistently. It's hard to run that slow. (laughs) It may be a much slower pace than you're used to, but after a couple of weeks, your body will figure it out and you'll be back to your old paces, but still in that zone two lower effort. And this is aerobic capacity. The same is true when you do your fartlek episodes or pace runs. Your natural response will be to run these at race pace and you'll drop into zone four or five, which is too fast. That's anaerobic. You want to run these at mid to high zone three, so right on the edge of that threshold. What you're trying to build is your capacity to run right at the aerobic threshold without going over it. That is aerobic capacity as well. With the heart rate monitor, you can exactly nail these workouts in the correct zones and squeeze all the benefits out of your base building. So if you're interested in heart rate training, you need to find out what your zones are. Everyone's zones are different. The formulas you'll find online based on age and resting heart rate, they're gross approximations and they will typically give you entirely wrong answers. I would recommend having a Lyddiard style coach help you set your zones. Back to practical workouts in a base building phase. All right, let's get down to brass tacks. Understanding effort levels now, you can see that the easy zone two runs are just that, 40 to 60 minutes of running in that aerobic base building zone. If you really want to ramp it up, you can scale these runs up to you know 90 minutes if you want to. You can do more volume at this effort level without really hurting yourself because it's so low. So what's a fartlek example? So a fartlek would be, let's say, a 45-minute run, and you do three to five pickups, in there somewhere for two to three minutes each, up into mid to high zone three, no higher, and then fully recover after each of those, i.e. drop back into zone two. Other versions of the fartlek are things like telephone poles where you do a zone three pickup between telephone poles on your run or short hill repeats where you do some quick 20 to 30 second uphill surges or fast finish runs and step up runs, where you warm up, you run in zone two, and then finish the last part of the run in zone three. I like to do my fartlek runs on the trails. That way, I get some extra balance and some extra strength. For your Sunday long run, when I'm base building, I'll typically shoot for two hours of running at zone two effort, with some surges thrown in every you know 20 minutes or so, just to keep the legs honest. And I'll do that as on every other week cadence. If you execute the base building phase consistently with these types of run, you'll be in an excellent position to increase your intensity and volume going into a hard cycle preparing for a specific race. In this way, your base building gives you the capacity, a deep well to draw from, where you will be able to run farther and faster at your aerobic threshold. So, base building summary. It may sound over-nuanced, But there's a big difference between running a bunch of easy stuff and base building. There are specific effort levels and workouts that will help you develop a deep reservoir of aerobic fitness that will pay off later in your racing. If you want to run well, you have to train well. And building base is a specific intentional phase of training that will help your running goals. To summarize the whole getting ready for a hard training cycle summary, you know, of the four aspects of preparation that we've discussed, all of them can help you reach your goals, but base building is probably the least understood. And now that we've talked through form, balance and flexibility, core strength, and base building, you have everything you need to prepare for a hard training cycle. Everybody's different, everyone has unique abilities, and likewise, unique opportunities for improvement. I would suggest that you either get a coach or Do some self-assessment, at least, as to what your strengths and weaknesses are, and apply the appropriate aspects of preparation that we've discussed. If you really don't know what to do, well, experiment. Pick one. Do a core strength phase or a form phase and see what you learn. I mean, that's how I taught myself all this stuff. Eventually, you'll settle on the appropriate balance of activities and the appropriate cycles of activity that work for you. And now for today's featured interview. Thank you for the short notice on this Rachel.
1: Yeah, no. And,
0: uh, yeah, give us the, the reintroduction. We've talked before. We last we talked in 2014. Yeah. In the summer of 2014. So here we are in the beginning of 2016. So give us the re, give us a reminder who you are and what okay. you do. Okay.
1: Um, I am a nutritional coach. I work mostly with endurance athletes. That seems to be kind of my niche or niche or however you want to pronounce that word. So I basically help people clean up their diets, figure out what they need to tweak, what they need to be eating, should be eating, how to make that happen. Basically just instead of giving them a fish, teach them how to fish. That's the goal anyway.
0: Right. Yeah. And like I said, I thought of you when I started getting the junk mail and seeing all the stuff that happens this time of year, right? (laughs) Where... Yeah, I don't know why. Are we, I guess my basic question is, why are humans so stupid?
1: I, I we all want the easy fix. I mean, if someone offers us something, we're 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 gonna go for it, right?
0: Right. And my kids were telling me it's the same marketing literature. It's it's the same product that they're selling to both men and women, but for women they sell it as have a nice bum, and for men they sell it as six pack abs.
1: Oh, of course. Well, but mean,
0: it's the yeah, it's the same gym membership and the same. Uh, <laughs> The same diet. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That's,
1: it's so, it's such a tough mentality of I'm going to start over and just abandon everything I've been doing and somehow magically it will all work.
0: I don't know. Yeah. So what, yeah. what we're going to do, you and I today is we're going to give people some, some uh, tips. Yeah. We're going to give them some strategies. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we can we can break the cycle of madness.
1: Yeah, stop the insanity. <laughs>
0: stop the insanity. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's that is the goal for today. Just give some people some tools to work with making change. Yeah, yeah.
0: So you work with two types of people. You work with people who are like me, like athletes who are saying, okay, you know, um, I get this target event, and I know my nutrition's out of kilter. Mm. What can I do to bring it back into kilter? But you also work with people who are like, oh, I have diabetes, I, I was at work and I passed out, you know, maybe I should think about what I'm putting in my body.
1: Yeah, right? I, I do. But I have to tell you, experience has um, taught me that I, unless that person comes to me and they are the one wanting the change and they have some other goals other than that, I don't really want to work with them because if your doctor tells you you have to change but you don't want to change you're not going to change.
0: Yeah. It's, not- it's such a simple thing, and it's so difficult because it runs counter to the human nature.
1: It really does. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do so- work with those people, but but there has to be, and I've, I've gotten wiser, you know, you have to give me your why. I need to know, I've got to have the, not because my doctor told me, because if that's why you're doing it, then you need to stop and reflect on some, you know,
0: better reasons. Right. <laughs> Right. But it could be, you know, my doctor told me and I want to be around in 15 years to see my kids. And kidneys, that's a
1: great reason. Right? And that, that works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then your top tip then, we're, we're way into it now already. <laughs> your top tip would be have a have a why.
1: Absolutely. You have to have a why and it has to be a strong
0: why. So what are some examples of strong whys?
1: Well, I think you just gave a perfect example of I want to be able to see my kids in 15 years or um, I'm working with a lady right now and she has a young daughter and she's just really concerned that, that, you know, she's heavy now and she doesn't want to set her daughter up for that. So she wants to create or be the example. And that, that's a huge why as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. And so those sort of those are very powerful whys, those sort of whys that tie to something that that you love or you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Or some goal or something, you know, very personal like that. But how do you sustain those whys over time? You know, how do you make that a strong enough why to overcome that poor decision at midnight?
1: (laughs) Mm. You know, that's a great question. And I think what has to happen is your why has to create habits, and then those habits put you on autopilot. To where you have started doing things where the midnight snack is no longer a habit. It's not what you do.
0: Right, right. Hmm. That's great. So it's the why itself is sort of the foundation, and then the habits are the you know the walls and the infrastructure of the it, of the project.
1: Exactly.
0: That makes it sustainable.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So well, so I gave you some questions ahead of time so I wouldn't just uh, ambush you with. Yeah, this I stuff. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> like I usually do. Yeah. So Rachel, what are the uh what are your what are your top 5? It doesn't have to be 5, but what are your top strategies that new somebody rolling out of bed on New Year's day going, you know, I got to lose some weight. I got to get healthier. You know, what do they use? What are those strategies to be successful?
1: Okay, well, I think we just talked about the first one. You you have to have a why. It has to be a powerful why. And then the second thing is I think you have to be patient with yourself. And remind yourself, it took you a long time to get where you are now, physically, emotionally, you know, whatever. So it's going to take you a long time to get to where you want to go. Patience. So be patient with yourself. And then I think that kind of segues into the next thing, which is one of the most important things I think you can do, is break it down into small, doable, achievable segments or chunks. Right. Don't make a resolution for the year. I'm like, who, really? I mean, who's going to keep that? Make a resolution to do something for three days. You know? Right. It, you know, the saying is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you make a resolution? It's one day at a time. So,
0: so and uh, along with that, um, not only do you have to be sort of short term focused, but so two things. One is, you also have to take and make some of those wins small enough to be almost no-brainers, right?
1: Uh, right. You so you exactly have to set yourself
0: su- up to succeed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you need to have some strategies to do that too. Like, um, I mean, if you want to break it down into something even smaller, maybe if it's, you know, you have these cravings for something, I'm like, try try a new strategy. One of those is wait it out. Say, you tell yourself you can have it, but in 20 minutes from now there's a really good chance in 20 minutes from now you will have already forgotten about it.
0: The other thing though is you still need some long-term aspect of that, right? So you have something to work towards.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it I mean I think if you look at changing your eating as you would at training, I mean you have your long-term goal race, but you're going to break the training up and you're probably going to work backwards and then figure out where you need to start and take it day by day to get to that ultimate, you know, race or goal or change.
0: So so if you have a plan and it's sort of discrete and broken down into short-term doable steps, then that's uh, that's that's a good strategy. So, it, and that's probably why people like these sort of structured diet plans, right? Because it tells them what to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that is part of it. But I also don't like the structured diet plan sometimes because people don't learn to... Um, they don't learn what to do once the diet's over.
0: Right. They don't learn any skills.
1: Right. They don't learn yeah. any sur- survival, I guess, you know, health health tidbits. They just learn, you know, this is what they told me to eat.
0: Right. And the other thing you said that I wanted to put some color around you, so, you know, it took a long time for you to get this way, maybe, you know, 10 years or yeah. 20 years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take 10 or 20 years to turn it around, though. You know, in the grand scheme of things, you could go in a year or six months. The progress you're going to make is amazing, right? That is
1: absolutely true. That's a great point. But, you know, everyone wants a 30-day fix or, a, you know, just to take a pill.
0: Right. But you're right well, no, in
1: comparison. It's it's so much shorter than how long it took you to get there.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I have the um, the benefit of age in that perspective where <laughs> six months is a blink of an eye, right? Oh,
1: right. Right. <laughs>
0: Hey, there we go. I just got a sponsor note on Skype here. Number one weight loss diet. (laughs) Flashing that at me. How ironic is that?
1: Oh Gosh, so many things wrong with that statement. I'm like, diet, weight loss. I'm like, no, let's just focus on being healthy and eating right for life.
0: (laughs) All right. So you have any other strategies for new dieters?
1: I mean, other than the being patient and breaking it up, I think, and we already talked about this, But you have to build habits and you can't rely on willpower. Instead of maybe trying to tell yourself, oh, I'm going to cook a healthy meal every night when I get home from work. And by the time you're home from work, you're exhausted. You have no desire to do that. Start cooking all your meals for the week or, you know, a couple of them on Sunday. And that makes that a habit. And then when you come home, you don't have to will yourself to make dinner. It's there. Just pop it in the, you know, oven.
0: Right. And I find for myself, I don't know if everybody's like this, but for me, my willpower just goes away after like six o'clock in the afternoon. You know, if I've been up since five and I've got a workout done and I've done all this stuff, I got no energy left for making decisions.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. And I read somewhere about how like after we've made so many no, no, no decisions at some point, we're just going to say yes, because that's how our brains work. Right. So, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So setting it up ahead of time. And and. and and I think it's it's like anything else. There's certain moments of truth, and you if you think about it, you'll be able to see in your life what those moments of truth are, right? It might be, um, you know, at the bar having a cigarette, or you know, certain things where you know it's going to happen, and then sort of pre-record an alternate habit around that. Mm. So when this happens, I'm going to do this. And that sets you up to be successful. And again, you don't have to make the decision because you already made the decision ahead of time.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's some good strategizing and planning. And yes, it's eliminated the decision for you since you've already kind of thought it through.
0: Right. Yeah. I do that. I do that with uh, race planning, right? I know when I get to this point, it's going to feel like this and this is what I'm going to do. Oh, right? yeah. So So we talked about strategies. How about foods, healthy foods?
1: Well, and I know I think you said something about maybe like a top five, which that's easy to do. But if I had to pick a top one, I would tell people vegetables. And I'm not talking about <laughs> corn and potatoes. I'm talking about spinach and broccoli and cabbage and carrots, you know, like cruciferous vegetables, leafy green vegetables, vegetables at every meal.
0: <laughs> yeah, vegetables. It's, uh, it's all good. Yeah. yeah, I read something funny today. They're all over. Maybe you've heard of this guy. He lives out by me. His name is uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> and and they're all over him today because of his. And this is the headline. Tom Brady's crazy diet.
1: Oh, because he's uh, decided to eat healthy.
0: <laughs> and and you know what his diet is? It's 90 percent vegetables. Yeah,
1: crazy.
0: Outrageous. How dare he? <laughs> How dare he? And the rest of it is maybe, you know, a couple times a week I work in some lean meat. Yeah, some you know organic uh, fish or something. Wow, that's terrible! How crazy is that? I know.
1: I mean, gosh, the audacity, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that would be the first thing, and then, you know, I know obviously a lot of your listeners are runners, and I think one of the foods that we miss, especially in our society, is fermented foods. They don't take a lot of energy to digest, you know, and the provide a lot of nutrients. So, like, as a runner, that's great because I'm getting my body all these nutrients, but I'm not making it work that hard
0: to get them. So what's an example?
1: Um, Sauerkraut. Of course, you have to buy okay. certain kinds, otherwise it gets heat-treated. Kimchi, certain, I mean, basically any stinky food you can think of, is probably a fermented food.
0: <laughs> so um, does vinegar fall into that category? Do you know,
1: it does. Certain kinds. Like Bragg's apple cider vinegar or any yeah. vinegar with that has a mother, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, mm-hmm. that's also a yeah, good so,
0: choice. So what I do with my um, salad, my big salad. So one of my strategies is for lunch, I pre-make a salad, right?
1: Mm, that's good. See? Every, and I, and I, put them,
0: huh? I put them into little disposable containers, huh? right? Uh-huh. And then in the morning, I'll throw a handful of raw almonds on top. And put my uh, famous either balsamic vinaigrette or some sort of apple vinaigrette on that. Shake it up, and then for lunchtime, it's ready to go. And I'm getting the vinegar, and I'm getting the vegetables, and I'm getting some raw nuts, which is good too, right? Yeah,
1: you're. I mean, that's that's great.
0: And it doesn't require a decision or anything.
1: No, I mean, see, you already kind of know. It's like autopilot. It's just what you do.
0: Right, and but. You know, the top healthy foods, the reason I asked that question is I find that people try to overcomplicate mm. the food choice. Yeah. So they try to go all or nothing.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that goes back to also you needed to break it down into small chunks. What's your goal this week? Is it just to add a vegetable, you know, at dinner? I mean, it doesn't have to be everything all at once and all the new products that get pushed at us that are – this is the latest – I get really sick of all that with the latest. You can have this instead of food. <laughs> yeah. Trying not to name names, but all those kind of products.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the the other sneaky thing, right? Is a lot of the quote unquote healthy foods that are pushed at us are not healthy foods.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And they're just they're called healthy foods because the people want to sell them. Um. So you really got to read your labels. But the the I think the the baseline that I use is processed food. Yes. Right. perfect so anything in a box is typically gonna be processed
1: hmm don't do that <laughs> exactly if you can't find it on the outskirts of the grocery store then you probably don't need it yeah
0: yeah so so I see people eating like um, these uh, you know we probably talked about this before this is one of my one of my bugaboos is the uh, the granola bars you know and the, <laughs> the health bars yeah and they're just sugar sticks for the most part.
1: Yeah, you pick up the ingredients and there's five different types of sugar disguised with five different ingredients. Exactly.
0: Yeah, well, it's nothing wrong with sugar, but know what you're eating, right? Well, I mean... It's definitely not healthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some simple strategies would be to work in one vegetable at dinner or work in one salad a week or, you know, something that you can win at, right?
1: Right, exactly. Um, One thing I like people to do if they're just like completely, you know, they don't even know where to start with the healthy eating is we just work on breakfast and I'm just on them about breakfast. We work together to figure out what to eat for breakfast. And then usually what happens is they kind of start figuring out lunch and dinner on their own. And then it becomes this, you know, I got a text the other day from someone that was like, Oh my gosh, I looked over at my snacks and it was like some nuts and a piece of fruit. When did that happen? But Yeah. 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 Yeah,
0: so. yeah, I, I think I'd freak people out because I'm not on, like, raw peppers in here. <laughs> Just eating them like apples. That's awesome. But I think that that works because uh, breakfast is still very powerful. That's when you set your day, right? So setting your day early.
1: Yeah, it's, it's setting a tone.
0: Awesome. And one of the, the challenges I have with eating healthy is, for some reason, all healthy food is hard to make, hard to eat. Whereas all unhealthy food you can pick up with one hand and put it in your mouth.
1: Oh, that is very true. And I mean, there's a reason they design it that way. (laughs) The unhealthy food, of course. You know, but I will say this I had this epiphany probably, I don't know, it was like maybe five years ago when the kids were hungry or there was something going on. And I was like, okay, I can go, I could go through a drive through, or it would take me just as long to go into the grocery store, pick up some apples. Check out and get back in the car. Why would I? Why would I even go through a drive-through? It's more expensive. It's not healthy. It's just as convenient to eat an apple as it is to eat a McDonald's cheeseburger.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that might be one of those um, one of those habits you could rewire, right? Yeah. So take the same trigger and rewire a different habit, habit to it.
1: Right. It, yeah, that's a good point.
0: But the other thing is preparation. And uh, and sort of mass preparation, too. I find that if like you said, if you have to make a salad with, you know, because if I'm making a salad that's got like eight different vegetables in it, that takes forever. Right. But if I'm making five salads, it takes the same amount of time.
1: Yeah. So I'll make Mm
0: -hmm. a giant bowl of salad and mix it up and put it in separate containers. Right. Same with like uh, brown rice or quinoa or lentils or anything like that. Mm. You can throw a bag of beans in the in the slow cooker. And that's, you know, three days worth of food.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you really think about the time, it didn't actually take
0: that much time. A little little planning ahead, a little strategy there. We like to call ourselves endurance athletes. What's What's different for an endurance athlete versus a, a sedentary person besides, you know, the odd thousand calories a day?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the things that are different... One, I think is sometimes we get an, un- surprisingly, we get an unhealthy perspective because we do train so much that we use it as a justification for poor mm. choices. So I think you have to be cautious with that when you are training for an endurance event to consciously make good food choices that will replenish your body and not take away from it. And then, of course, the thing that's different for us is we really have to focus on quantity and quality because for us undernutrition can mimic the symptoms of overtraining and how do you know which one it is do you need to pull back on your training or are you just not getting enough nutrients like those are things you need to take into consideration
0: That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Oh. So the you know the <laughs> symptoms of overtraining is you turn into kind of a zombie And your, your body doesn't have the ability to recover anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get, you're just like tired all the time. Your muscles never bounce back Mm -hmm. and you just, you're, you're stressing your body without any recovery. And when, when we were working together, one of the things that really, that I really noticed uh, with a cleaner diet was my body's ability to bounce back.
1: It is really amazing what your body can do when you give it the right fuel. It's, pretty cool.
0: And I would say they, there's two parts of your training cycle that it's super important. One is that that really heavy week. So what I like to call the dark place, you know, <laughs> when you're really, really stressing your body, you know, maybe three, four weeks prior to a, to a race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in the taper, because mm-hmm. in the taper, all of a sudden you have this spare time and you're not burning as many calories. It's easy to start, you know, nervous eating right?
1: Yeah. Or just board eating where you're like, wait a minute, I would normally be out doing something right now and I'm not.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> kind of going back to, because, you know, I do like working with the athletes. Everyone needs to keep in consideration, but especially athletes, food intolerances, because I know you said, you know, top three to five considerations for amateur athletes. And I have noticed working with probably... 50% of the athletes I work with have some kind of intolerance that has affected like their long runs, bathroom stops, those kind of things. Wheat seems to be a big one for a lot of people. If they cut that out, then they no longer have like the, uh, you know, GI issues.
0: Yeah. Especially heavily processed wheat.
1: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean the enriched flowers.
0: Yeah. Like white bread. Mm-hmm. Is basically what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's not it's doing any anyone right.
1: any favors. <laughs>
0: And the other thing that that will do that is um dairy,
1: yes, that's another one. some people do fine with it and some people should not ever touch it
0: <laughs> yeah and it's that's that one's sort of tough because it in the industry they masquerade it as a healthy food and it really in a lot of situations is very unhealthy for people
1: yeah, oh it's so true mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Now I'm going to get hate letters from the dairy association.
1: Probably. That's okay. I'll probably get one from McDonald's. I think I said their name. <laughs> <I'm> just
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody buys kale burgers.
1: No, not so much.
0: <laughs> Wrapping it up. What are uh, what are some of our myths?
1: You know, I think uh, I think a big one, but it seems to be going away now. Is that fat is bad? Um, fat is good. You need fat. It's a uh, part of how our bodies run
0: (laughs) in moderation
1: well you don't need to eat anything in a crazy amount (laughs) yeah but i mean i'm talking like you know saturated fat got such a bad rap but if you look at coconut oil that is a saturated fat and it can you know have all kinds of health benefits so
0: sure or uh olive oil yeah
1: or you know just People get scared of foods that have a high-fat content because they have a high-calorie content. But I would so much rather somebody ate an avocado with a high-fat content than a 100-calorie pack of processed food with no nutrients.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's the same rule. It's not that fat is bad. It's that you know you get it from whole food sources.
1: Yes. I mean, I think you can break – if you were to just sum up how to be a healthy eater, that's it eat whole food eat real food Yep Yeah
0: in moderation Yes <laughs> Yeah So if it's so if it's so easy why don't people do it why why is it so hard
1: Well I mean look at how we're marketed to I'm like yeah. it, I mean we preach a lifestyle of convenience and quickness and I mean I'm the odd weird one because I you know we cook dinner at home every night that's oh well, most nights I don't don't want tell me say every night but the majority of the time.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's, you're not, you know, it's wrong for us to preach, right? Cause I, you know, I like my pizza and beer as what much as the next guy, right? Yeah. And the odd hamburger now and then, um, it's really in the overall, right? Is, is looking overall and saying that's not every day. You know, you want your majority of your, your meals to come from a, a whole food source.
1: You can get it's, away, you know,
0: you don't have to become a monk and be a <laughs> radical, uh, Radical vegan. Right.
1: Oh. Right.
0: Unless you want to. I
1: mean, and that's fine too.
0: I'm okay with that too.
1: You can get away with a lot of, um, you can get away with some bad choices when you make a lot of good choices <laughs> with diet anyway. That's kind of how that works out. So.
0: so yeah. What do we want to leave people with? What's the number one thing? Feed. Be successful in the new year. What do we have to do?
1: Find your why and, uh, break it down day by day i guess
0: get good get good habits
1: yeah get good habits i mean and and by that a good habit is eating real food all right yeah
0: all right Yeah. good well, thanks <laughs> for coming on we've got people going now they got something to work towards
1: okay and if,
0: if they want to find you where are you oh
1: um i my website is nextlevelnutrition.fitness
0: Right, next level nutrition dot fitness. Yes, sir. Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, good. for the athlete that wants to take it to the next level.
0: You can work with them for you know a set period of time and and teach them teach them how to run their run it themselves and that sort of thing as well. So
1: yeah,
0: uh, it's always good to have a coach because you can learn something from everybody.
1: Yeah, you can learn something from everybody, and even sometimes when you know you just maybe need that accountability.
0: Alright. Alright, I'm gonna let you go. I gotta go see Star Wars.
1: Oh okay. Enjoy the movie.
0: Alright, cheers.
1: Okay. Talk to you later. Oh, bye. bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what
0: we already know. The Adventure of a Portfolio Life. I've been thinking a lot this past year about my portfolio life. And I picked up that phrase, portfolio life, from Jeff Goin's book, The Art of Work. I think it aptly describes what many of us do or are confronted by in our lives. Not that it needs a label, but if you do have to label something, a thoughtful, positive label is good. Apparently, the concept of a Portfolio life has resonated with other people because Jeff has started a podcast of the same name. I mean, who doesn't have a podcast these days? I haven't listened to it yet, so I can't comment on it, but I will. The portfolio life is really defined by what it is not, <laughs> it isn't the monolithic one job for life cultural norm that was developed and codified in the Western world. The thought that there is one consistent path or trajectory from cradle to grave is this norm that the portfolio life idea stands in relief to. And I'm not sure the singular life ever really existed or whether it was a myth perpetrated by people and institutions who crave certainty above all else. It does seem to go through cycles in the cultural zeitgeist, and I'm seasoned enough to have lived through a couple cycles. I think the 1970s were a transition point, and before that, people, in the USA at least, had this myth of a paternal company that gave you a good job for a living wage, and if you worked hard, you could climb the corporate ladder if you wanted to. You got the two bedroom ranch house with the white picket fence on a quarter acre lot. You had 2.5 kids and a dog and went bowling at night. Like I said, it was probably a myth. In the 70s, the old industries, the old industrial revolution industries, started to fall into their own gravity wells. And by the time I joined the workforce in the 80s, we were in full on mass layoff. Oh my God. And that myth of the kindly paternalistic company had evaporated. And sure, every generation pines away for the myth of a simpler time that never really existed. I dare you to go work on a farmstead. Being the hopeful can-do people that we are, we innovated new technology and services industries and moved on with our silicon lives. But through this, you still noticed this angst around the loss of a known solid path for people's lives to follow fast forward to today and we have a unique opportunity we have access to everything every lifestyle every geographic every religion every philosophy every hobby everything it's all right at the end of our fingers this access to everything creates a marvelous opportunity that enables a portfolio life. But since it's a new thing, it also scares the crap out of our monkey minds. How can we rest? How can we not go insane when confronted by the opportunity to learn, to do, and enjoy everything? This is the situation I found myself in at this time, you know, last year. You can't do everything. You have to have a strategy or at least an understanding of what you can do. And it's referred to as the monkey trap. Let me explain. How do you catch a monkey? You put a banana in a basket with a narrow neck. The monkey reaches in and grabs the banana, but the hand with the banana in it won't fit back out through the narrow neck. The monkey doesn't want to lose the banana, so they can't let go, but they're trapped if they don't. It's an old metaphor for greed, really. The lesson is that if you try to pick up too many things or won't put things down, those things trap you. And I'm sure you've found yourself in similar situations. You start too many projects. You have too many interests. At some point, you realize you're not getting anything useful done, and you're spread too thin. It's a monkey trap. You may love all these things. And each one of them may add value or pleasure to you or someone else's life, but you can't do it all. So what what do we do? One reaction is to try to do everything more efficiently. That way you can squeeze it all in. So this is the getting things done theory. The theory is that if you can find a way to do one or two of your portfolio items faster, it will create more time. There are some problems with this tactic, and I'm calling it a tactic on purpose. First, If it's something you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't care about how fast you do it. (laughs) Second, if it's something you love doing, doing it more efficiently can suck the passion out of it. And third, stuff expands to fill a time vacuum. You may tactically finagle an extra 20 minutes in your day, but it won't last long. Something will fill it up. There's no such thing as free time. It's another one of our myths. Free time implies that this time sort of miraculously appeared like a found penny on the sidewalk. Why would you want free time? Clearly, only so you could do something that you wanted to do but didn't have the time to do in the first place. That's not free time. That's poorly allocated time. How do we manage the availability of everything? How do we deal with this dilemma of abundance? And people will tell you, Here's another myth for you. People will tell you that you need to find your one true passion and wrap your life around that. And there may be people on this planet that tumbled from the womb knowing the one thing that they were going to commit their lives to. But for we common folk, it would be folly to spend our lives fruitlessly wandering around waiting to be struck by lightning. This is where you can instead embrace the portfolio. So here's your exercise. This will help. Get a piece of paper or a stack of colored light emitting diodes and make some columns. First column, write down all the stuff you know that makes you happy. And I say you know because there may be other stuff that makes you happy that you don't know about yet. Next column, write down all the stuff that you think you're good at. Same caveat. And then write a column of what's important to you. And now compare the overlap of these things to the opportunities in your everything portfolio. The things you're doing today or might want to do tomorrow, see all these things and how they line up. Where's the Venn overlap? And I know I've been circling the point. Bear with me. I came to the conclusion this year through some directed self-awareness about the portfolio life. I was troubled because I thought I must be doing something wrong because I have my hands in too many things. And I felt guilty that I wasn't focusing all my energy on something, like I wasn't following the rules, like I was cheating the expected path somehow. And I thought I should be able to choose that one thing that was my calling and focus on that and drop some others. But the thing is, I didn't feel right to drop those things monkey trap. And then I realized it's okay. And that's my main point. It's perfectly okay to have a portfolio life. It's perfectly okay to have several passions that you are following. If you can figure out how to pursue them efficiently, great. If you can figure out how to make money off them, great. But that's not necessary. It's a new world. New rules apply. We are at a point in the evolution of society that we have access to everything. And you should dive right in and see what works for you. If it works, do more. If it doesn't work, do something else. But don't be fickle. When you choose to do something, give it your all. Don't be a dilettante and play at things. Go after it. Do the hard work. Do the deep work. And roll around in it before making that decision to move on. And my second main point is that in this confrontation with everything, you may not know where to start. It doesn't matter. Pick a direction and run hard. The worst thing you can do is nothing because as scary as everything is, nothing is scarier. Nothing leaves you open to the whims of someone else's agenda. And this is where adventure comes in. My definition of adventure is a journey where you don't know the destination or the path. By embracing the adventure, you are forced out of your box and forced to learn. Adventures make you grow. That's it. It's your life. Maybe you shouldn't worry about beating yourself up over your lack of focus. Maybe you should pick something from the everything. And then maybe something else. And maybe something else and maybe something else, and go at it hard and wild and balls out, because this is a time and place that only happens now. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. That's it, baby. You have noshed your way through the vegetable-strewn garden of, of episode 4-329 of the Run Run Live podcast. How you feel? I'm tired, man. Too many 7 a.m. calls this week. I did make a nice bean salad last night after my workout. You say, what's a bean salad, Chris? Well, let me tell you about it. You can get your beans one of two ways. First, the way I like to do it is you can buy them dry and uncooked. I like black beans. I like pinto beans. But any kind of beans will do. They're super cheap to buy. come in bags in the supermarket you rinse the dry beans and you fill a container of some sort up with water and you soak them overnight. So you want to get an oversized container, but because the beans, they swell up when they absorb the water. So you want to have a lot of water in a big container. Because one time I put them in a glass decanter and that didn't end well for the beans or for the decanter. That was a poor decision on my part. But anyhow, when you're ready, you rinse off the beans, toss them in a slow cooker with some more fresh water, I use my rice cooker. You know how much I love my rice cooker. Then you drain the water off, and now you have cooked beans, and you put them in the fridge. Now, you can skip all of that part by just buying beans in cans, which are already cooked. But it's important to note that this is one of those sort of weekend or offline activities. The whole process of turning dry beans into cooked beans sounds complex, and it does take a couple of days, but your direct involvement is... Only dumping beans into a bowl a couple of times and poking a button with one of your fingers over that course of those days. So probably less than five minutes, including cleaning up. So you got your beans. The beans are good raw material now. These cooked beans are good raw material for all sorts of quick dishes. One of which is bean salad. And since you rinsed and soaked the beans, they don't make you gassy. One of the things people say is, I can't want to eat beans because they make me gassy. So you won't have that problem if you rinse them and soak them. Trust me on this. <laughs> so then you combine your beans with some diced, so really small diced peppers. I like red peppers, orange peppers, green peppers, uh, cucumbers, maybe some corn. You can put you a know, half a can of kernel corn in there, uh, some cilantro, some uh, tomatoes, or tomatoes, depending where you live, and you dump in some lime juice, you know, whatever you, whatever you got that you want to put in there, and you salt and pepper it to taste, stir it up, stick it in the fridge. Now you have a filling, high-protein, tasty grab-and-go meal. You get the idea. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, how about that? So this week I also kicked off my fundraising campaign for Team Hoyt for this year's Boston Marathon. So I'm go- I've am included the links and a video in the show notes for you, and I would be very thankful for your support. Anything helps, really. I don't bug you folks with advertising and other useless crap. No Harry's Razors here. Team Hoyt is representing all of us, right? They're representative of all that's good about our sport and our community, and I don't have to raise money for them. I choose to fundraise for them. So, hey, do the right thing. Pitch in. I'm in the first week of my taper for the Phoenix Marathon on the seventeenth. So if anybody's around Phoenix, uh, give me a give me a shout. We'll hook up. I usually like to go into races uh, overprepared because uh, I am. I'm trying for a Boston qualifier here, so you know that's uh, that's challenging for me, as it is for most people. And I like to to train so well that the results are never in doubt, right? I like to carry that confidence of good training into a race. And I'm not real sure about this one. I've got a good base and I've got some of my speed work. And on paper, you know, my times look like I should be able to hit my goal pace. But I feel like I'm on the edge. I feel like I really have some fitness challenges in my legs. So we'll see what happens. It'll be an adventure, I figure it's now or never, so I'm focusing on just trying to go in with fresh legs, good general health. I've switched my focus to uh, core strength for a couple of weeks and less volume and intensity and you know, good, clean nutrition, and it'll be an adventure. We'll see what happens. Also, registration is open for the Groton Road Race, the third Sunday in April, as always, and this is our 25th year. Come up and join us. I'm passing the race director, Baton, this year, so another chapter closes. There's yeah, there's there's yeah, hotels around, so fly up to New England. Spend a weekend with me. Spend some time with us. Groton Road Race. Links are in the show notes. Next episode, I'm going to try to get Matt. Who's Matt? Matt's the gentleman who read my book, uh, Marathon BQ book, into audio for me. So I'm trying to get him on the show. I'm interested. He's a podcaster, too. Uh, His podcast is called the Passerby Podcast. It's a storytelling podcast. He gets some good, interesting guests sometimes. I'm interested in talking to him to get his perspective as a bit of an outsider, you know, outside looking in, working through producing that work, right? And yes, at the end of the week, this week, about the same time as this podcast drops, I'm going to try and push the Marathon BQ audiobook up to Audible, and we'll see. If they accept it, it will be available. And I'm quite excited about it, primarily because it means I successfully completed a project from start to finish that involved collaborating with someone, i.e. Matt, and not just doing all the work myself. So that's a big success. That's a personal success for me in my portfolio life. So I finally went to see the Star Wars movie this week, and I liked it. It was definitely a great continuation of the original 1977 movie. Same characters, same look and feel. Very good, very good. And I saw the original 1977 or maybe 78 movie in the theater. That was so long ago. I don't think I went with my wife. I think I went with my mom. And I was excited to see the new one. I was really looking forward to it. But all through the holidays, I just could not. Get it to happen. I couldn't coordinate with my family, or it was sold out, and I was getting that sinking feeling that I would end up watching this wonderful movie on my living room couch six months from now on the small screen with the dog barking in one ear and someone else screaming in the other. So this week I wasn't traveling. My kids had planned to go see this movie at four on Tuesday, and I said, No, I can't. I can't do that. I have, I have calls. You know, I have a call at four. So I just thought to myself, screw it. I'm going by myself. I don't care anymore. And I went online and reserved a great seat for the 6.30 showing of the movie. Going to go by myself, sit in the middle. And so I show up at the theater, and I find that my wife and kids are sitting in the back row, right? (laughs) They decide to have dinner instead of going to the 4 o'clock show. So that's the story of my life, right? Filled with irony. I can't schedule anything to save my life, but when I show up, they're already there. Of course, I still had to sit by myself in that really good seat down front in the middle that I had reserved. But, you know, hey, that's the way it goes. Enjoy your 2016 wherever you are, even if it is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry all right here we go let's record how's you know this recording sounds really good cuz my my pop filter on my microphone is built entirely out of border collie hair oh where's my script my kingdom for a script